So we'll visualize, we start out visualizing the merit field, surrounded by all the center beings. So all sentient beings want to feel safe. They want to feel physically safe that their bodies won't be harmed. And they want also to feel mentally and emotionally safe that people will will respect them and accept them. So part of a bodhisattva's work is to help others feel safe. And sometimes that may be by helping them to change environments so they are physically safe. But bodhisattvas also teach us how to be mentally and emotionally safe. Because if we have that inner feeling of safety, then even if physically we are threatened, there's uh, no fear. There's still uh, the feeling of compassion, the feeling of kindness. So what is it that helps us feel emotionally safe? Part of it is having a kind attitude towards others. Because if we greet others as friends, if we greet them respectfully, then we're setting up conditions for a good relationship. And another condition is an awareness of emptiness. Because when we understand that there is no inherently existent I, no truly existent I that can be destroyed, then the fear that arises when we don't feel safe is overcome. Because in our hearts we know there is no I that can be hurt. And that gives us a lot of freedom in our own heart to feel safe and in our own heart to have kindness and respect and help others to feel safe. So let's try to do that.
And of course, the ultimate state of safety is full awakening. So we generate the bodhicitta aspiration to attain it so that we can help all others attain full awakening as well. So, we're still in the middle of samsara, nirvana, and Buddha nature. And we're in the chapter, chapter 11, called Freedom from Cyclic Existence. And in that chapter, we're partway through the section calling Stages Leading to Liberation and Full Awakening. Okay, so I'll take up from there where we left off last time, right in the middle of the section. (laughs) Maybe I'll read a, a paragraph before that so you can kind of catch on where we are. While alive, arhats are free from samsara, although they still have the samsaric aggregates, especially the bodies they took at birth, which are the ripening results of polluted karma. Their bodies are true dukkha, so their nirvana is called the nirvana with remainder of the, and the remainder is the polluted aggregates. So they've attained nirvana, okay, but they're still alive and they're carrying around this body. When they die, all the karmic seeds vanish on their own without a remedy being applied although the latencies of affliction still remain on their mind streams. So this, remember, this is for the arhats. So leaving the five polluted aggregates and taking mental bodies that are not made of atoms, arhats have now, um, now have a nirvana without remainder because they've died, so they've shed this kind of body they don't have the remainder of the of the polluted body. So they remain meditating in peaceful nirvana for eons until the Buddha, uh, quote, quote, wakes them up and encourages them to become fully awakened Buddhas. They then generate bodhicitta, take re- uh, birth by the power of prayers and aspirations, and enter the bodhisattva path. Okay, so that's, describing how some beings become arhats first and then later enter the bodhisattva path and follow that to full awakening. And this is from the viewpoint of the Mahayana uh, that says that everybody has the Buddha nature, everybody can become fully awakened. Okay, So the arhats, eventually that will happen to them. In the fundamental vehicle system, there's a, a lot of different things that, as far as arhats. Yeah. Um, one is that they just uh, abide in their meditation and their, the continuity of their afflictive consciousness ceases 
because they've eliminated all the afflictions. So the continuity of the afflicted aggregates have ceased, you know, when they die. Yeah, so they no longer have, have a polluted body, a polluted mind. Um, and so some people say then, like, the stream of consciousness ceases because what made the consciousness continue was the affliction, was the afflictions. Okay. That's what some people say. Not all of the Theravada people say that. And that's certainly not the uh, Mahayana view where we say, there's nothing that can ever make the stream of consciousness cease. Uh, why? Because one moment of clarity and cognition produces the next moment of clarity and cognition, which produces the next moment. And there's nothing that can stop that. Okay, so it's a very different view. Yeah. So you have many different things. And the Pali... Um, Suttas didn't say a lot about what happens at nirvana without remainder. Okay, now we're going to go into the bodhisattva path. Bodhisattvas on the path of accumulation and preparation are born in samsara owing to ignorance. Okay, so they've, uh, they're bodhisattvas, the spontaneous bodhicitta, but they haven't realized emptiness directly. Yeah, so they they are still in samsara. They're born by the fa- the force of ignorance, afflictions, and karma. Okay, that's the first two bodhisattva paths. Then from the third path, from the path of seeing onward, they are aryas. and they take birth according to their compassionate which wishes and intentions, and no longer experience birth, aging, sickness, or death under the power of afflictions and karma. So they haven't yet reached liberation. Yeah, they still have the cognitive obscurations. They still have some afflictive obscurations. Yeah, but um, because of their bodhi, the bodhicitta that they have, they uh, take rebirth not by the force of afflictions and karma, but by the compassionate wishes and um, other and the intentions that they have to uh, be reborn in order to be of the greatest benefit to sentient beings. By the force of their fervent, compassionate intentions and stainless altruistic prayers, they may choose to take birth in a particular family or country to benefit the beings there. So, for example, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, we would say that that's what he did, and many of the other, uh, you know, Rinpoche's have done that. Not all of them, okay? Be, having the title Rinpoche does not mean somebody is uh, necessarily at the path of accumulation, there's all different ways in which one can get that title. Okay, but for the ones that uh, choose to take rebirth in a particular family or country to benefit the beings there, okay, when doing so, they appear to experience everything ordinary beings do, 
they so they appear to get sick and get unhappy and have problems in their lives and so on. Um, yet their experience is very different from ours because of the intensity of their realization of emptiness that is supported by bodhicitta. Okay, so externally they look like ordinary beings having the same kind of lives they do. But because of the power of their realization of emptiness and the power of their bodhicitta, they have a very, very different experience. Because they have not yet eradicated all afflictive obscurations, these Arya Bodhisattvas are said to be in samsara, but not of samsara. Okay, so in samsara, because um, they still have the afflictive obscurations, they haven't eliminated those, so they're still in samsara, but they're not of samsara because the afflictions are not the chief cause of their rebirth. It's their intention, their compassionate intention, that is. Okay. And so when these bodhisattvas appear, you know, they have a mental body, but externally they look like everybody else. Now you may say, well, how come? You know, how come they they look like everybody else? Shouldn't we be able to see their mental body? And can't they fly? And can't they do all sorts of magical things uh, because of their realizations? Well, they can, but that doing that is not necessarily beneficial to others. Okay? Uh, so the example I often give is, you know, if a high-level bodhisattva appeared in Times Square or even, uh, you know, in Newport, yeah, they... <laughs> They appeared in front of the, you know, they took the shuttle and got off at, at the Safeway in Newport. Yeah. And, you know, they have a mental body and they're doing all sorts of, you know, extraordinary actions. Uh, would that really benefit people? Or would people just go, oh, look what they're doing. Please, would you sign my baseball? You know, please, would you sign my piece of paper? Uh, call CNN, call Fox News. You know, they're all going to cover this. We have a real event in the middle of Newport. Yeah. I, you know, is that going to benefit anybody? No. Okay, it's just, uh, you know, Hollywood stuff. So they appear as regular sentient beings. But then, you know, how they act, how they teach, how they handle situations, you know, it becomes an example for others. Yeah, They don't give away their identity, and they don't wear name tags. Hi, I'm an Arya Bodhisattva. Yeah, my realizations are much higher than yours. Yeah, they don't do that kind of thing. Okay. But they uh, help sentient beings in all sorts of different ways. You know, teaching the Dharma, befriending people who are lonely, yeah, manifesting as medical, uh, you know, doctors and lawyers and medical technicians and so on. Um, to benefit others. 
Okay. So when sharp faculty bodhisattvas, so remember, sharp faculty bodhisattvas have realized emptiness inferentially first before they've generated bodhicitta. Of course, they have some, you know, they've meditated on a bodhicitta a lot. They're very familiar with it, but they don't have the spontaneous bodhicitta yet. Okay, why do they do it that way and realize the the wisdom side of the path first? Because they want to be sure that enlightenment is possible. Yeah, and uh, the argument for the possibility of enlightenment depends on the uh, the the fact that all persons and phenomena lack inherent existence. Okay, so that's a whole other argument. Nagarjuna talked about it in uh, the uh, treatise on the Middle Way. Okay, and and uh, it was explained. It's in volume four, and I think it's in an earlier volume too. I can't remember which one. Yeah. Okay, so when sharp faculty bodhisattvas attain the path of seeing. Due to the force of their great resolve and bodhicitta, their bodhicitta transforms into the bodhicitta that is the purity of the extraordinary great resolve. So it's a special kind of uh, bodhicitta that's really emphasizing the, um, the great resolve that bodhisattvas have, you know, the, the strong intention, the strong determination to attain full, full, awaken, full awakening for the benefit of all beings. Okay. So from the path of seeing onward, these bodhisattvas also attain a mental body that arises from unpolluted karma. Okay, and here... Unpolluted karma means the intention to assume such a body. Because remember, when we ask what is karma, we're talking about the mental factor of intention. We often use the word karma to refer to past actions or to refer to the seeds um, that are that are uh, left on our mind stream from our previous actions, but actually karma means intention. So these bodhisattvas have the mental body arising from unpolluted karma, you know, an unpolluted intention to assume a mental body. Yeah. So they, I mean, when you think about this. What would have have to happen in your mind for you to have that kind of intention? There would have to be a pretty pretty big reformatting, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they gain the mental body by the unpolluted karma, the attention to assume such a body, and the subtle latencies of ignorance. Okay. So remember, they still have those subtle latencies. This body is not one entity with the mind, but it is said to be in the nature of mind because like the mind, it is not made of atoms and lacks physical impediment. Okay. 
So it is unpolluted and free of physical pain. Although until bodhisattvas gain the eighth ground, it is not free from the pervasive dukkha of conditioning. Because the pervasive dukkha of conditioning is only eliminated at the time of our hardship when we've overcome all the causes of dukkha plus that dukkha. Our hardship where we cease to create any causes of dukkha, okay, and overcome dukkha. To benefit us ordinary beings, these Arya Bodhisattvas take or emanate a form similar to ours and show the aspect of sickness, aging, death, and so forth. These bodies are not true dukkha. They're, they're bodies that are emanated from that um, mental body, okay? although they look like ordinary bodies. If they manifest in the animal, hungry ghost, or hell realms to benefit the sentient beings there, they are not beings of that realm. Okay? Rather, they are merely assuming that appearance. So if one of these uh, Arya Bodhisattvas manifests as a cat, yeah, and uh, benefits all the other cats and the human beings and everybody else, yeah, it's still a bodhisattva, but it is, and they're not a cat, yeah. They're, they appear as a cat, but they are not a cat, okay. They are, yeah, they're assuming that appearance because they don't have the polluted aggregates of an actual cat, So bodhisattvas who practice tantra actualize, actualize, turning the pages, actualize impure illusory bodies and then a pure illusory body even when they still have a polluted human body. So these tantric bodhisattvas have an ordinary polluted body like we do, but because of their deep meditation and the ability that they have to control the channels, winds, and drops in the subtle in the subtle body, um, they they can uh, out of appear out of their deep meditation first with an impure illusory body, and then with a pure illusory body, even when they uh, you know re-enter their polluted body after this session. The actual or or ultimate unpolluted body is attained at Buddhahood. Okay. And so when we get to volume 10, then we'll talk about what the tantric bodhisattvas do. So Arya Bodhisattvas uh, progress through the 10 bodhisattva grounds that occur on the path of seeing and path of meditation. Until they reach the eighth ground, afflictions may still manifest in their minds, but they don't remain long and do not function as afflictions usually do, in that they do not disturb the mind. Arya bodhisattvas create only unpolluted karma. So they only have 
unpolluted intentions. So if afflictions, you know, a flash of anger or jealousy or attachment arise in their mind, it's very brief. It doesn't disturb the mind. It doesn't create uh, any kind of karma that is going to bring about bad results, let alone a lower rebirth. Unless they had previously become Shravaka Arhats, Arya Bodhisattvas are not liberated from samsara until the beginning of the eighth ground. At this time, they have purified all afflictive obscurations and become pure ground bodhisattvas. So pure ground bodhisattvas refer to bodhisattvas on the eighth, ninth, and tenth grounds. And those three grounds are all on the path of meditation, which is the fourth bodhisattva path. It gets confusing with paths and grounds and everything, but you'll remember. Okay, since cognitive obscurations still remain on their mind streams, they must exert subtle effort to motivate their physical and verbal actions done to benefit others. So they have that very strong intention. But since there's still those subtle obscurations, they need some subtle kind of effort to uh, generate that motivation. But wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, without having to sit down and like, okay, for the benefit of sentient beings, even that jerk, oh, I can't be mad at that jerk. Oh, I got to meditate and dissolve my anger and then generate love and compassion for this guy and then, you know, eventually get to the point where I have some compassion, some bodhicitta for him. Then I got to do it for all the other sentient beings. You know, it takes effort to be a bodhisattva. But when you've uh, attained the eighth ground, then there's only a very little bit of effort that it takes to to do this. During the the three pure grounds, uh, these Arya Bodhisattvas gradually abandon the cognitive obscurations. And at the Mahayana path of no more learning, when the cognitive obscurations have been fully pacified, they become Buddhas who spontaneously and effortlessly act for others' welfare until samsara ends. Bodhis- uh, these Buddhas never retire. Yeah, uh, they, yeah, they never go and buy a home at the beach and uh, live on their pension. Uh, they never take a vacation. Yeah, uh, they don't need to. They're totally happy benefiting sentient beings, and they have lots of energy to do so. Uh, Some ordinary beings are born in pure lands, such as Sukhavati, Amitabha Buddha's pure land, as a result of special virtuous karma and sincere virtuous aspirations and prayers to take rebirth there. Birth in Amitabha's and Akshobhya's pure lands is not taken under the power of afflictions and karma and is not uh, in the 12 links. Okay. The bodies of ordinary beings born there are not true dukkha. Although many beings born in those pure lands still have self-grasping and other afflictions, 
These do not arise in manifest form, so they do not create karma for rebirth in unfortunate realms. Because they practice the path diligently, these bodhisattvas no longer create karma for rebirth in samsara and attain full awakening in the pure land. Yeah, so that sounds good, huh? Guaranteed enlightenment. But you have to do some work to get born there. Yeah. And it's not just reciting Amitabha's name ten times. Okay. So there's a, a reflection uh, to do. So first, review the stages of the path to liberation for those following the Shravaka vehicle. Yeah, go through that. Then second, review the stages of the path to full awakening followed by those in the bodhisattva vehicle. And the third, get a sense of your potential. Realize that you can progress through these paths and stages and attain the peaceful results. Okay, so, you know, recall how the shravakas practice, how the bodhisattvas practice, and then realize that, you know, they were all once kind of just quite ordinary like us doing all the dumb things we do, but uh, they practiced and we kept doing dumb things. But we have the potential to to change and to uh, attain those same realizations. Okay, so a little bit of time for questions or comments. Um, if I understand correctly, the delineation to get on the path of accumulation is having spontaneous and effortless bodhicitta, the mind to achieve enlightenment for others. But on the pure grounds, they still have to exert subtle effort to actually go through the physical and verbal actions. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also... Their bodhicitta increases in strength from when they enter the Mahayana path of accumulation. Uh, It's much stronger by the time they get to the eighth ground. So the effort uh, taken is much less. And also, the first, uh, the bodhisattvas on the path of accumulation can also lose their bodhicitta, you know? Uh, there's a story of Shariputra, who generated bodhicitta, was on the Mahayana path of accumulation, and he got really mad at somebody. Okay, and there's a whole story behind it. He got really mad and just said, I am not working for the benefit of this jerk. And he lost his bodhicitta. Okay, so we definitely don't want to do that. And in the uh, first chapter of Bodhicharya Avatara, what is Holiness read uh, the day before yesterday, then, you know, it talks about the benefits of bodhicitta, and it also mentions about not giving it up. Because if we give it up, it's like, well, we generated it, and we invited all the sentient beings to this big feast, 
of, you know, what we're going to do to be, to benefit them. And then we, you know, we cancel the feast. And so it's said to be extraordinarily negative karma to, to uh, relinquish bodhicitta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When an arhat is reborn as a bodhisattva, are they born at the stage of seeing, or do they have to start with the path of accumulation? They start with the bodhis with the Mahayana path of accumulation, because they just generated bodhicitta. Yeah, they've been in their meditative equipoise for a while. The Buddha arouses them. And then they generate bodhicitta. So, you know, their level of their bodhicitta is similar to the bodhisattvas on the path of accumulation. So they enter the bodhisattva path at that level. Yeah. Which is the karma virtuous especial? Karma virtual especial. Virtuous especial. The special, oh, the special virtuous karma that the those bodies bodhisattvas generate. I don't see a definition, but I imagine that it's you know it's based on the great resolve, so a very very intense resolve to attain full awakening. Yeah, it's called the the name of it is yeah. The purity of the extraordinary great resolve. So the resolve to attain full Buddhahood must be very pure, unconditional, uh, very firm. Yeah, and that's at the path of seeing. Okay. Where pure produce this karma? Donde se produce? Where produce this karma? The the in, in the which karma? The special and virtuous. Oh, the the this um, purity of the extraordinary great resolve is is not to to create it. The kinds of things you need to do is uh, you know meditate on, on love and compassion and bodhicitta, practice the six uh, paramitas, and uh, yeah, real and realize emptiness because. It's, you know, they, these, this happens at the path of seeing where they've realized, uh, the true nature directly. And so that is going to really purify their minds and make their awareness of the situation of, uh, sentient beings in samsara, uh, much clearer. And as they see the suffering and dukkha of the sentient beings, then their compassion and their bodhicitta will get stronger. Mm -hmm. I hope this doesn't sound like a silly question, but I'm curious. uh, The bodhisattva on the path of seeing is still in samsara. So when they manifest in these different forms, like cats, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, are they... Are they in a realm, or is there like a seventh category? Yeah, that's... no, they're 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 emanations, they're okay. manifestations. So they're not beings of that particular realm, right? So their mind is somewhere that they're manifesting these different aspects. There's, as far as I understand, I I questioned Geshe Sona Rinchen one afternoon about this. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I had one question after the other. <laughs> Uh, apparently, there's one 
kind of there's the bodhisattva with the bodhisattva with the aggregates they took as a bodhisattva, and then one of their special qualities, one of the the twelve special qualities, is to emanate bodies. So they em- emanate those different you know, appearances and manifestations to help sentient beings. Yeah, uh, but those are emanations. They aren't the central bodhisattva that has emanated them. And then the central bodhisattva would be either a human or a god? Uh, probably, or in a pure land. Might be somebody in a pure land. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the statement that the mental body is arising from um, that special intention, does that mean it's the substantial cause? I, I'm trying to figure out what the substantial cause of a mental body is, if if it has one. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard that described. I mean, in Tantra, it would definitely be the subtle elements and the channel, you know, the the subtle winds and, and things like that. But talking from a Sutrayana perspective, yeah. Okay, so let's dedicate. <laughs> okay.